At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Good morning, all you beautiful souls, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. But of course, as I've said before, it's not just us veterans and first responders. Trauma is trauma is trauma. The injury is the injury, and if you're injured by trauma, the symptoms are the symptoms. It is the same, regardless of the modality of the injury. And this is episode 209, I think, if I haven't lost track. And out of 209 episodes, I have never talked to a hypnotherapist before. Lisa, thank you so much for making the drive down all the way from exotic Edmonton to join me here in Okotoks. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And um, we got so much to talk about. We do. We do. Uh, Let's start with the ugly stuff right off the bat. Okay. What got you into hypnotherapy? What, yeah. what, what was it that you were trying to overcome? So four years ago, I tragically lost my son to suicide. He uh, was 16 years old and struggling with life and, and choices and decisions and, you know, all the help we could get him and, and everything just obviously didn't sink in. He, he could talk a good talk. He talked therapists into believing he was totally fine he talked me into believing he was totally fine, and then uh, he decided to take his life uh, February 14th, 2018. And uh, at 2 a.m. in the morning, a police officer banged on my door to wake me up. And, of course, I was completely exhausted, out of it, answered the door, went into shock as soon as he started talking to me. He offered to take me to the hospital. Um, they had revived him. His heart was beating, but he wasn't ble- breathing on his own. So we got to the hospital, and they gave us the news that he probably wouldn't make it. And you watch all the shows that, you know, miracles happen. I never, ever expected to leave the hospital without him. And uh, we got the day with him. Um, his heart kept beating. He never regained consciousness, and they asked me to make the decision to take him off life support. Jesus Christ. And uh, before this had happened, Carter and I had had a pretty decent fight. He was, you know, being a teenager and a divorced parent and, and you know, playing one against the other, and dad says this, and, and I don't have to listen to you, and and so I had... We had made the decision he'd go stay with his dad for a few weeks. And so I hadn't really seen him again. I gave him a couple hugs as he was passing. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of guilt. A lot of guilt I carried. A lot of guilt I put on myself. And then the decision to take him off life support, I had to make that myself. That was put back on me. And I made the decision, and we watched him pass. And I expected the grief. I never expected 
the trauma, the response of the trauma was causing within me. I became a completely different person. I used to be confident and strong and self-assured and public speaker, um, going to events by myself and, and just hosting, and I had it all together. And I turned into a complete hollow shell of what I used to be. I had anxiety that I'd never felt before. I had overactive responses to things that I'd never had before. I've always been calm, cool, collected, calm. Like everyone's like, oh, you're so calm. <laughs> and yeah, and um, I couldn't go to the grocery store. I couldn't possibly think of getting ready to go to work in the morning. Everything was too much. Um, making, I, I, I'd stand in the bathroom not knowing what to do next. And I'd have to ask myself, now what? And I'd come from a voice inside, brush your teeth. Okay, now what? Wash your face. It's like I couldn't get through the steps. I was living moment to moment. That's all I could handle. Going grocery shopping, like I said, people would brush behind you and I'd almost punch them. It was too much. And I didn't know where these things were coming from. And I had lunch with a friend that told me, he had PTSD from serving, and he said, you have PTSD. And I said, I never served. I've never been shot at. <laughs> Why am I flinching when someone walks by me? And he said, it's the same thing. It is the same thing. Yeah. I realized that I accepted that in that moment, that I had PTSD. And then I had the grief, and I had the guilt. And so it was all of that working together that was squishing me down, and I started looking for help. I knew I couldn't do it by myself, and I was by myself. I was raising Carter's twin brother, Josh, who was struggling as well. I, I had to go back to work. I'm a single mom. Um, there was a lot of things I had to do. And so I had to find help in order to do those things. What was the first thing you did to reach out for help? The hospital actually offered us counseling, which was a huge blessing. I didn't have to go looking. Nobody, nobody had to, you know, push me to go. They offered us a counselor, and she had lost her daughter. And I found a kindred soul, and she was amazing. She taught me different techniques and tools to just survive, just to get through the day. How important was it for you to have a counselor who you knew had relevant experience? Um, I've heard the term cultural competence. Mm. So having somebody that also lost a child, did, was that important? It certainly helped um, because I, I, I knew she knew what she was talking about. It wasn't a 20-year-old that had just graduated sitting across from me telling me what I should be doing. I, I had a lot of anger. I probably wouldn't have listened. Um, yeah, I probably would have rejected all of their suggestions and ideas because, you know, I was angry. What were some of the key takeaways like that where you feel that helped? Yeah, the one, and I know you'll, I know you'll know this one. So the one she said is, when you have to do something you don't want to do, you have to get up. You have to go somewhere. She goes, where are you 
in your life that you felt completely in control, completely confident. And I said, riding. I ride a big motorbike. And uh, she said, so what do you do to prepare to ride your bike? And I said, well, I gear up. And she said, so when you have to go do something you don't want to do, gear up. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. She goes, what do you do? So we walked through all the steps. I put my boots on. I walked to my bike. I started up. Boop, boop, boop. So it's a Harley. No, it's a victory. Oh, victory. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> and so you you just hear the rumble and all of a sudden I can feel my shoulders pulling back. I can feel that power. I like I soak into it. I'm a goddess warrior on that bike. Like I I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm completely confident and self-assured. And so, you know, I walk through the steps. I put my bandana on. I put my helmet on. I put my earbuds in, put on my kick and song. Entering badass mode now. <laughs> you can hear the music. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so that helped me significantly. You find that thing in your life that you used to do that you felt completely in control, completely confident, and you do it in your mind. So that's how I'd go to the grocery store. I'd be geared up. It's a little NLP-ish. Mm-hmm. And uh, like if you're about to go into a meeting or go on stage or into so, some place where you don't normally feel confident, doing the pow- the superhero power pro- pose, chest out, hands mm-hmm. on the hips, chin up, dun, 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 <laughs> and, and holding that pose for at least 10 seconds before you go in, it works. It's why military drill is what it is. Right? When you're standing at attention, you're standing straight up, shoulders back, rigid, chin up, eyes straight ahead, and you feel like a superhero. Yeah, That's why they do it. Yeah, that's so cool. Or it's a big reason of why they do it anyway. So they weren't calling it NLP whenever drill was uh, invented 3,000 years ago, but uh, somebody figured it out that this is the power poses work. Yep. They get you in, revved up and ready to go and geared up. You got your battle armor on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nobody can touch me. Nobody can touch me. Yep. I'm freaking invincible. <laughs> Goddess warrior. So that was the one thing that worked for you. Yeah, just um, getting through those those initial things that you had to do. Another one was creating lists. I'm I'm a planner. I I've worked I've worked my whole whole life. So I would start planning. And she said, just write it down. And then a contingency plan if that plan doesn't work. And your escape plan in case you need an out. And so I would do that a lot if I had to go to an event or go to a public thing. Where, where's my out? Where are my exits? <laughs> and I give myself permission. And that's a big one. Give yourself permission to leave, to not be okay. If something's overwhelming, I can leave. Yeah. Yeah. Being kind to yourself. Yeah. Was that difficult? Um, we called it being gentle. Mm-hmm. We call it being gentle with yourself. That was a big one. The kindness, there was a lot of words I couldn't handle. Kind, joy, happy, family, life, good mom. Many years. None of those words you could connect to? No. 
No, I was in survival mode for many years. And then anything that I felt I could connect to Carter, I couldn't, I couldn't let that spirit go. I had to find a way to connect with him. I started taking a lot of intuition courses and going to mediums. I'm a little woo-woo like that. so Yeah, me too. That's, it's uh, very healing going to a medium. Yeah, it certainly was. And I started taking courses from her on, on how to connect. And so I found, because I'm a scientist, energy cannot be destroyed. We are energy. So his energy is still here. And so I had to find a way to connect with that and keep that relationship with him. I had a girlfriend ask me, what do you do with all the love that you can't give him anymore? And that hurt. And so now I give him all my love. I still do. I'm so proud of him. I love him to bits and pieces. Part of the struggle must be, and even a part of the guilt, is all the energy that goes towards the grief, which takes away from your surviving child. Yeah. Poor Josh. <laughs> uh, There's so many days I felt so bad uh, for him, for having this mom that was no longer a good mom. I felt very insignificant very unworthy and and he was struggling he could have used a better mom so I had to put on some masks we talk about masks a lot Mm -hmm. and I had to put on a mask that I was okay and that became my mantra I'm okay I would tell myself that every day all day I'm okay I'm okay I got this it was just, I'm okay. <laughs> I didn't even have it. I was just okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so many days he would sleep all day, sleep all night, barely get out of bed. And I could see the pattern starting again. And the terror within me to find my only other child was also traumatizing. We would check on him. We would, you know, try our best to pull him back into life. I think I took him to five counselors. And every time he was like, I'm not going back. And I could see that pattern starting again. And somewhere in there, I, uh, and we'll get to it, I'm sure, but I started doing hypnotherapy training. And I started using him as my guinea pig. Because <laughs> it was covid and yeah. he's the only other person in the house. And so I, uh, I started practicing. And the dog him. couldn't stand it. <laughs> the dog ran away. <laughs> and the birds kept flying into the window. <laughs> yeah. Watching the watch. Um, so I would, I'd practice on him. And, and a few things I think really resonated with him. Um, I do a lot of imagery, a lot of visualization in, in my work. And so I told him to picture the perfect him. And every day you step towards that perfect version of you. And it was a simple, simple, simple visualization. I never even did trauma therapy on him. But I started to notice a difference. You know, after a week, he was getting out of bed. After a couple of weeks, he was looking for a job. You know, he got a job. Do you believe... No, I'm going to throw a theory out. Yep. And then you tell me what you think. Okay. So with that type of visualization... What I'm hearing is that you're helping him reconnect with his true self. Absolutely. 
And that's why he was feeling better. Yep. I just got chills. Good. You know, that means I'm telling the truth. That's the truth. It means I nailed it. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, um, when you were in a, and I were talking in the kitchen while I was pouring you that phenomenal coffee. Mm-hmm. Delicious. And I forget, forget exactly how I drew it, but disconnection is the injury. The injury is the disconnection. Disconnecting from the person that you used to be yeah. and missing that person. Yeah. That's the pain. That's the injury. Mm-hmm. So bringing yourself back to who you truly are and understanding who that is, mm-hmm. that's the healing. Very true. And I realize I will never be that person completely again. Um, and it's okay. But you'll be a better person. Exactly. You'll be better than that person was. Yeah. That's, and it's shitty to say because it's not like, oh, I'm grateful that my child is gone. Right. But the truth is, if you can muster the strength, if you can learn the tools, if you can implement those tools into your life, the healed version of you is stronger and more robust. Uh, People get pissed off at the what doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing, but it's just all in how you frame that phrase. If you frame it in the way that I understand it, it's true. Mm -hmm. But if you don't grow, because it can go the other way. Absolutely. Bitterness, regret, sadness, and and never letting go of your victim status. Yep. Some people get addicted to the victim status. Absolutely. I've seen it a hundred times. It's really something. And I believe that being addicted to the victim status, to that attention and sympathy that you gain from others, the reason you get addicted to that is because the number one human emotional need is affirmation, which is really a sense of connection. So if you feel connected to others via the sympathy for your story, of course that's addicting. Yep. And it's also the greatest barrier to healing. I agree completely. Don't, don't take away my trauma. Mm-hmm. Don't take away my story. That's that's my feel good. That That's where I get my attention from. That's where I get the affirmation that I matter. Mm-hmm. Don't you fucking take that away from me. And they'll fight for it. Yep. And that's a miserable life because it, it's a worse addiction than alcohol. Absolutely. I agree. I, I can feel myself falling in there. I've always been a independent person. I've always been, I was raised by, you know, two amazing people that raised me to be hardworking, independent. I was raised by wolves. So <laughs> that's different. I'm sure they had similar qualities. <laughs> Fight for yourself. I was always the last to eat. It's why I'm only five nine. <laughs> but I, I could feel that. You can feel that pull, and even releasing the trauma is, a, is another. Even though I wasn't being the victim, releasing the trauma was hard too. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere in my journey, I hired a, a life coach, and uh, it was more to connect spiritually um, with spirits and, and develop those kinds of, of avenues in my life. But she ended up doing a trauma healing with me and she used a whole bunch of different modalities. We did tapping, we did a little bit of woo woo stuff in there. And can you tell me about the tapping for a little bit? Yeah, for sure. It, um, you're repeating, um, sentences and trying to 
lock them into your subconscious. And so they figure that there's different spaces on your body. So you tap here, you tap here. Sorry, I hit the microphone. It's okay. Um, and then like all over. And you keep repeating the sentence. You keep repeating it. And as you repeat it, it starts to sink in. So the one was, I'm a good mom. So I think it's helping you because of the physical sensation, back to what we were saying earlier, the the injury is disconnection from yourself. Yep. So reminding you, like connecting with your physical body as you're saying the affirmation, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure there's science behind why here, why yep. here, why here. But um, I could see that as being a grounding. Yeah, very grounding. Very grounding, taking you back into your physical body. Um, and then as you're saying it, things start to sink in. You start to accept what you're saying. So I couldn't say I'm a good mom. I I could say I used Mm. to be a good mom. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a good mom. I was a good mom. I was a good mom. And you just over and over and over. And as it starts to sink in, you can slightly start to change. I am a good mom. And at the end it was, I'm a great mom. And that kick ass super mom. I know, right? <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah, power pose. Just need the Wonder Woman outfit and you're you're killing it. Killing it. I, yeah. Well, there there's next Halloween's <laughs> plan for you. I always go as a biker babe. <laughs> <laughs> Split the difference. Wonder Woman biker babe. Yeah. And and she did a, a lot of that and there was in there a lot of imagery of going back to the day going back to the day that that we lost carter going back in there and helping the 40 year old me because that wasn't that's not me now so she would she made that very very clear the you you are today is very different than the you that suffered the trauma you already suffered it you don't need to suffer it again but you can go back and help that version of you through that you can go provide them support. You can go back and forgive them. And that's huge to provide, you know, the Lisa that had to endure that day, that had to make decisions, that watched her son fade away. I went back and helped her. And that was, that was big. And then in that, seeing her and talking to her, I made the difference between that's the day Carter died and that's the day Carter was free. Huge difference. I don't see that day as the day I lost him. I see that day as the day he lost the constraints of this world and became free of everything that it burdened him with. Everything that, that held him back. He has always been a bright light. He has always been pure love. And now he can be that without, you know, a 16-year-old's version of this horrible world. And that was a big change. And then she did some more imagery with how do you want to leave 40-year-old you? You don't want to see her in the hospital room staring down at, at an empty body. And so I put her back on the beach in Mexico, our last trip to Mazatlan together, the three of us, two boys and me, and I put us back on the beach and visualizing it, holding that 
you know, we're all wrapped in this big comfy blanket on the beach, talking, laughing, you know, hearing the ocean, smelling the sea. All of that was my new imprint. I re-imprinted that, that visualization over and over and over. Instead of seeing, you know, the hospital bed, the hospital room, I now see that. So I've left 40-year-old me on the beach with my two boys having a great day. How hard was it for you to take these steps to give yourself permission to heal? Pretty hard. I I carried so much guilt. Um, and even early on, the guilt was hard to carry, very heavy. There was, you know, a few techniques I, I learned to release, you know, the voice in your head, the one that tells you you're you're not good enough, the one that tells you you're it's all your fault. Everything that's happened is all your fault. The would have, could have, should have, all of that. Um, I was on a trip uh, with my son after Carter passed. We went to the beach for Christmas because I couldn't handle Christmas with my family and everybody's happy family. It's just not. Some, I get that. Yeah, not something you can ease back into. So we were on the beach and I had downloaded a bunch of audiobooks and the one was The Untethered Soul. And I listened to that and it was all about quieting the mind. And in there he he talks about the voice in your head as your roommate. And so giving them a body, giving them a face, like visualizing that. And then how quickly will you listen to that roommate tell you all those horrible things about yourself until you evict them? How quickly would you evict them from your house, from your room? My brother fires people, but I evict them. <laughs> so that's how that's how I started to see it. The you know you you should have done this, okay? I, yeah, I guess I could have, but that doesn't help me now. So get out. Yeah. And it took years, years to quiet my mind. It's a constant fight. Yeah. That's why uh, so many people that start they give a go for meditation and they give up immediately because they don't see immediate results. It's like, every time I close my eyes, it's just a bag of cats in there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I get that. But the trick is to let it be a bag of cats. Just let her buck. Mm-hmm. Take your hands off the reins and just notice it. Yeah. And just let her buck. And eventually those cats do settle down. Yeah. It's fighting against that bag of cats and those intrusive thoughts that gives you the problem. Exactly. And, for, and letting yourself release the trauma like a lot of people say well I don't want to relive my trauma in hypnotherapy well you're reliving it every day yeah the trauma you're putting on yourself every day you're reliving it already so why not walk through it as a support as a help as a helper what do you say to those people that uh, they feel that they've locked it away in a box and they've (laughs) swept it under the carpet and uh you just ignore it until it goes away. Often I find those people aren't looking for help because they figure they already have it. But talking with them, it's like, well, one day it's going to pop out. When you add one too many things in that box and it blows open and bad things happen when you blow open. You know, you take swings at strangers. You, you know, exactly. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I don't resonate with that at all. <laughs> That's not me. 
Oops. Yeah. Like there is a point that you can no longer hold it in. And would you rather let it out in a safe place, in a calm atmosphere where you can deal with it and release it? Or are you going to allow it to explode unannounced, maybe on a family vacation when you're crossing a bridge and all of a sudden you decide to drive the car off the bridge? Like, you just never know. I've often said that the root of all assholes is ego. But I'm thinking it's also and maybe at the same time, unresolved trauma. Absolutely. I, I had a realization yesterday. Because uh, I, I saw in myself what uh, we've always complained about in our family about my dad. Mm. I'm like, shit. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> I turned into my I'm dad. doing that too. <laughs> I um, was at an arm wrestling practice last night. And it's usually, it's, that's my happy spot, you know, and this is good. And, and I really like the community. But there was some uh, 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 cute little guy. Uh, and he's got his volume cranked right up on, the, on his phone mm. for his video games. So he got that noise. Right. And they were playing like this thrash metal on the, on, on, on the speaker. <laughs> and, and it's all echoing around. And I'm like, got to go. Yep. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and the one fellow that's looking up is like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And it's like, so I just said it. And I said, I'm suffering from anxiety. Yep. I got to go. And then my son's like, but I'm not done yet. It's okay. You get done mm-hmm. and keep going until your arms are ready to fall off. I'll be in the car, yep. but it's okay. Don't rush. Mm-hmm. Take your time. But this is what I need right now. And, uh, and doing it without embarrassment or guilt or shame just saying, nope, <laughs> I can't. Exactly. And then I realized that every time uh, there's any kind of family uh, gathering, my dad gets ants in his pants and he's out the door. And it, and it never lasts long mm-hmm. under any circumstances, just dinner. Like he's got a one hour time limit and then he's like a parking meter. He's <laughs> expired and he's out the door. And he says it like that, like, well, time to go. Let's go. Wow. And... Even though I've been on this journey all this time, I never saw it. Mm-hmm. It's a goddamn trauma response. Yep. Yeah, he hit his max. He hit his max. Mm-hmm. It's anxiety. I'm like, oh, so I've been a douchebag to him all these years, <laughs> giving him a hard time. That's just his anxiety limit. That's what that is. It's not his attention span. It's not that he doesn't want to be with his family. Yeah. It's it's the anxiety of it. Mm-hmm. You know, from his childhood, which was uh, <laughs> Stephen King could make a novel out of it, oh, like right. it was something else. And um, but the root of all assholes <laughs> is 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 that unresolved trauma, ego, and the blending of the two. Right. And so, if you find yourself getting frustrated with somebody. Take that deep breath and just ask a simple question. I wonder what's going on with that person. Yeah. And that's what empathy is. Absolutely. It's that, it's that moment of curiosity. That's empathy. Yeah. And I think a big one you said was, if you're in trauma, like let people know. Mm. Advocate for yourself. Right. It's okay to say, hey, I'm feeling a little anxiety today. I might not make it through this. Or, oh. Sorry, guys. Full. I can't do it anymore. 
how that would come out poorly from somebody that is not aware that they're trauma injured, that isn't aware of what's going on in their own body. Mm-hmm. That same situation would have been, wow, the fucking kids got that stupid fucking music and that fucking, <laughs> that goddamn thrash move. Well, I came here to arm wrestle, not to listen to your shit. Yeah. Fuck all you all. Yeah. And leave. And drag your son out. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, fucking assholes. And that's how uh, the asshole in the room will will process a trauma response. Yep. Or or live through that's what a trauma response looks like for the person that we think is the asshole. And then that same person goes out, gets to the car, is still mad at those fucking assholes that were doing all these things to me. Mm-hmm. Now why why do they you know, why do they gotta be like that? Also on the inside they're deeply embarrassed. Right. But then they have a choice to make. Admit that I'm the asshole and this is my shit. Mm-hmm. Or externalize it and blame other people uh, for my reaction. Right. And the drive home smashing into other cars that cut you off or, you know, yeah. it can get much worse instead of just saying, oh, I feel it. And the secondary trauma there. Because what are you teaching your kid? Exactly. But this is what we see all the damn time. People that are mad at the world, because really what's going on is that they feel rejected by the world. Mm -hmm. That's why they're mad at the world. Everybody is an asshole. Well, hang on. What are the odds of that? (laughs) You're the only decent person on the planet? Hmm. Self-reflection time. Yeah. But looking in that mirror is a son of a bitch. Yeah. And it's the biggest thing is to be able to look in that mirror and own your shit. Mm -hmm. That's why that's step one in the 12-step program. It's no different. Yep. If you're always mad at people, uh uh-oh, it might be you. Yeah. Becoming self-aware is a big step. Even just acknowledging what's that feeling and why am I feeling it is huge. Like I, f- I start to feel anxiety right here. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I start to feel it in my chest, I go, oh, hi. <laughs> and take that breath. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Where are you coming from? Hello, old friend. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas that was constant. And it would start to bubble up, bubble up higher, higher, higher until pure panic attack, flying off the handle. And this would be at work. And I'm glad they never fired me. Because I needed my job. And they were very gracious to me. And and I, I started becoming an advocate for myself. Because nobody else was going to be. So I go into work and say, hey guys. I worked in an open space with four other guys. I work in the oil industry, so I'm usually the only girl. And they got used to me telling them how I was feeling. So today, high anxiety. I'm going to put my noise-canceling headphones on. If you need me, let me know. And I started taking care of myself and then realizing, okay, it's calming down. Good. Become self-aware. And it's hard. It's hard when you have blamed the world. It's hard when you've blamed everyone else, when you've been the victim or played the victim. It's hard to become self-aware. But I'm glad I was. And the further you go down that road of blaming the world, of being the victim... And the older that you get, 
the more difficult it is to face your shit because there's more shit to face. Right. That mountain just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's overwhelming to look at it. It's easier to look at everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And to be the self-righteous one mm-hmm. where I've got my shit together. Everybody else is a dick. <laughs> and uh, what a miserable life. Yeah. And when you meet these people, being kind to them is the only thing you can do. Right. Knowing that they're in a struggle. And also having respect for yourself by having boundaries. Absolutely. And small dosing them. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're ready for help, they will find a lighthouse to go to. If that lighthouse is you, great. Mm-hmm. But you can't just sit there shining and so bright that it hurts their eyes and and expect them to go, okay, yes, I'll accept your help. Yeah. And and it's a shitty, shitty thing. I have people in my life right now that so desperately need help, mm-hmm. but um, facing their shit is just not, they're just not there. Yeah. And you have to protect yourself from them. And yeah. And create those boundaries, like you said. How many people I don't talk to anymore since since my trauma, since my story started, that I had to release them. I love you, but you have to go. You don't have to say that to their face, but knowing that. Well, it's the same with any life goals. Um, I, I often use the the example of when I wrote my first book. I just posted uh, this morning. It's like, holy smokes, that's 14 years ago. Wow. And um, when I published that, boy, a lot of people were triggered with their insecurities. <laughs> And people were lined up around the block. There's a few encouragers patting me on the back and saying, hey, man, that's freaking great. That's cool. Good for you. And the others are like, what gives you the right to, what makes you think you can write that book? Or, oh, it's just a little book. Oh, okay. Well, I got a better idea than writing a book. I'll one-up you. Um, Or people will tell me that I was an asshole for writing it or... uh, Whenever you're doing anything like that, that's outside of the nine to five lunchbox Joe regular, people have a choice to make, support you and see you as like, Hey, maybe if you can do it, I can do it too. That's cool. But that takes a confident, strong person that's comfortable with themselves. Yeah. Or you can be threatened by it and you see what they're doing and you go, well, that hurts me because I don't have enough courage I would like to do that, but I don't have the courage to do that because I don't think I'm worthy of doing that, mm-hmm. which of course is a false narrative, but that's how they feel. Right. And if that's how they feel, if they feel insecure about somebody else lifting themselves out of a mud hole, it's the crab bucket theory. Have you heard the crab bucket story? No. We'll tell the crab bucket story. So there's this fisherman and he takes his, his son out out fishing and, and, and collecting the crabs. He says, okay, son, your job is to sit right here in the bo- boat and look at this empty bucket. That's your job. And uh, keep an eye on the crabs. Don't interfere with the crabs. Just keep an eye on the crabs. Then at the end of the day, I'm gonna, you're going to tell me what you saw. He's like, that's a weird freaking job. Yeah. But, um, so they start and they pull up the, the crab traps and one at a time they start filling up this big old bucket. And what the boy noticed was that every now and then, one of the crabs wasn't like the others. And one of the crabs would go, what the, this bucket is not a good place to be. 
I'm thinking I'm going from the bucket to the pot on the stove, and I I do not want to be there. So the uh, every now and then a crab would reach up for the edge of the bucket and start to pull itself out, and just as it was about to leave the bucket and uh, and and try to save itself, another crab would reach up and go, "Oh no, you don't!" It would grab it and pull it back into the bucket. And that's what happens in life. Every yeah. time you try to raise yourself, you try to lift yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you expect that all your friends and family will be helping you. It's like, yeah, go, you go, and then tell me how you did it. Yeah. You know, it's like, could you throw me a landline so I can do that too? <laughs> you know, or th- throw me a rope? Yeah. But that's not what happens. No. And in your life, if there are people trying to pull you back into that bucket, you just got to you, you gotta say, I love you and thank you for being in my life, but there's no more room for you anymore because yeah. I'm getting out of this fucking bucket yeah. one way or another. And I'm sorry, I got to let you go. Yeah. And you got to let me go because yeah. I'm getting out of the bucket. And it can be very hard. It can be extremely difficult, especially if it's family or a friend for years. You, But you have to be gentle with yourself. Be kind to yourself. Like you said, protect yourself. Like in in my life, no one was my protector of, of anything. I didn't have, you know, a bodyguard to say, no, you can't say that to Lisa. That's rude. Or, you know, any of those things. There's not that person. So you have to be your own advocate. And, and it can be hard. And sometimes the one, the one I heard in a grief session was just be kind, be gracious. And his saying was, that's true, but not helpful. <laughs> so when people tell you, will you still have one son? Oh, God. True. Yeah, thanks for the, I didn't notice. <laughs> th- th- thanks for pointing that out. Right. Uh, and you got a booger hanging out of your nose. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, but not helpful. God, not helpful. And so that was a hard one to not get angry and not get bitter and not want to fight them back yeah. and beat them down because it hurt right to the core. And there's going to be those people that say the stupidest things to you. Well, it's because they think they have to say something yeah. and they don't know what to say. So they say something, the first thing that pops into their head because yeah. they think they have to say something. Yeah. And they don't. Nope. What should they do, Lisa? Oh, um, most of the time I just needed someone to hold my hand and tell me that they're there. We always say it's holding space for them. What do you need? Actually, even that was overwhelming sometimes. People keep asking me what I needed. I didn't know what I needed. What can I do for you? I have no idea. It was so overwhelming to me to make a decision. I had asked my one girlfriend, I just need somebody to hold me while I cry. She came over and I boogered all over her, (laughs) snotted up her arm and she held me while I cried and I cried and I sobbed. And then we made a big joke about all the slobber I put on her and we laughed and it was exactly what I needed. But for a long time, I didn't even know what I needed. It was just, I'm here. I'm here if you need me. That's all I needed to hear. Just showing up. There's um, so many instances I can think of 
where, because disconnection is the injury. Disconnection is the pain. So create connection, not by liking somebody's post on fucking Facebook. <laughs> you know, that's not connection. I mean, it's better than nothing, but not by much. Yeah. You know, um, show up at somebody's house and say, come on, let's go. Where? I don't know. Let's go do something. Yeah. You know, and I'm not inviting you. I'm telling you, let's go. Yeah. You know, get out of the house. If you see somebody isolate them, isolating, break them out of that isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see somebody that's stuck, like there was this one fella, and uh, he knew he had this project to get done, this uh, construction project, you know, not a big, and it's been sitting there for months, mm-hmm. and he just can't seem to get over the hump to to get that done. So I just showed up with my tools. Wow! I used to be a carpenter. I can do this. Yep. And the two of us figured it out and had the job done in an hour, hour and a half and had it done well. Perfect. Then that broke loose the the stuckness and he was able to get a whole bunch of other stuff organized and figured out too. Yep. You want to help somebody and their house is a clutter, show up and say, come on, let's do this together. Yep. Let's do it together. When you see something, even a no, day. No lecture. No lecture. Just, just do it. <laughs> but- Know that even that first step to them is overwhelming. Yeah. Even brush your teeth was overwhelming. Like it was, you need to get ready for work, but that's too overwhelming. It's just those little things. Let me help you with your next step. And if you run into, if you have the strength to do that and ask for that help and you don't get that help, which I know that feeling very well, Mm. just realize that they didn't understand what you were asking for. Or they're not able to give it. Yeah. But keep trying. Yeah. An example, I uh, was stuck with getting something fixed on my motorcycle. I'll show you after the show. It's in the garage. It's a beauty. Okay. And um, so I asked a friend. It's like, dude, I I just need some help. Well, it's all on YouTube and how I did it was this. Mm -hmm. and, And you could just see it on YouTube. It's like, never mind. Yeah. But what I needed was just to be there. You know, and I just needed somebody physically with me to get over that, to get unstuck and get rolling. Mm -hmm. And if I, uh, and maybe get a second opinion, if I was scratching my head on, on one of the steps that had to be taken Mm -hmm. to, to work on this bike, but I didn't get that help when I reached out. So I never reached out to that person again. Right. You learned your lesson. And if that person knew, then they'd feel terrible about it because they're a good person, but they just, they didn't hear me. Mm -hmm. They didn't hear me. They didn't get it. So I have to be compassionate to them. I've got to be compassionate to myself. And I can't stop asking. Right. Absolutely. And a lot of times I'll ask the previous me, the one that had it all together. Mm. And that's if I'm alone, that's who I ask. <laughs> what would Lisa do? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, I need help. And she's in there. She's somewhere, and she'll, she'll usually answer. And so, yeah, it, it's there. If you're willing to reach out, you can find the right person. A lot of times my son would just come in the room and hold the phone while I YouTube to fix or something, and just having another human in the space. I also got a dog at the time. I needed a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah, Making the choice to get out of bed was a lot. And even the alarm's going off, you have to get to work, you need a paycheck. But I couldn't. It was too much. I didn't like getting out of bed. 
bed was nice, comfy, warm. It held me back. And uh, so I got a puppy. And if I didn't get up in the morning, she'd pee on the bed. So <laughs> Guess I got to get up. Yeah, and she brought a little joy into my life. And it gives you that sense of connection. There's something about that animal that gets you out of your head because you can't be paying attention to your toxic thoughts. You have to pay attention to that puppy or it's going to shit on the floor. Right. And, um, and that by itself is good because it brings your attention to something good because mm-hmm. you can't suck and blow at the same time as Bob McMillan once said. <laughs> you can't suck and blow at the same time. And that's, uh, and if, and if it's not a puppy, if you're allergic to dogs, you can't have a, then you got to find something else. Something. something that gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. It gives you a little joy. That was the first time I laughed. My mom cried. She was like, you laughed. You really laughed. I got this cute little crazy puppy, and yeah, it it turned it turned a corner. A little bit of sharing. I uh, when people realize that they haven't laughed in a year or two, like really laughed, really smiled, really smiled. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling. Yeah, it sucks ass. It's so rough. And then you get even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> the realization makes it sadder. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but that's when you know you, you, you got to do something about it. Because yeah. you can't keep doing that. If the things you used to enjoy, you don't enjoy anymore, you know, you have to know what that means. Because when that happened to me, I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. All I knew is that it was happening. Mm-hmm. All I knew is that I could no longer walk into the forest and have my batteries charged. Mm-hmm. And feel connected to that forest and, and feel lighter. All I knew is I didn't have friends where I laughed my ass off with anymore. Yeah. So I just didn't laugh. I knew that was missing, but I didn't know what that meant. Right. I didn't know that that meant I needed help and that I was injured. Yeah. I just knew that I really, really fucking missed it. Because yeah. you miss being alive. Yeah. And suicide isn't about wanting to die. It's about wishing that you could live and you don't know how. And it's it, it's the same as not being able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I just can't breathe anymore. I just can't do it. Yeah. And um, as the a lot of members of this audience know, I, I attempted suicide in July wow. last year. Totally didn't see it coming. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not true. I just thought I had it. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I was solid, that I would never do it. You know, so... I didn't, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't prepared. And when I did reach out for help to a professional, I didn't get it. Wow. Nice. In, in, in when I was right uh, uh, on the edge of the cliff. And, um, or I sensed that I was getting close to the edge. I didn't get the help when I reached out to it. So I figured, well, maybe I got this. I must have this. Mm-hmm. And then another event happened when the cup was, when I was already teetering, I was already on simmer yeah. and somebody cranked it to boil. And then that was it. Yeah. And, um, and my brain did not work. All the checks and balances, all my anchors, all my reasons for, for keeping going, I couldn't, I couldn't access them. No. I couldn't connect to them. Yeah. I, all my moorings were gone. And I took a crack at it. And my guardian angels kept me said, no, no, you idiot, not yet. You know, you got a ways to go. Yeah. And I'm still here. So yay, yay, yay for me. But um, when you look back at it, 
there's no rational mind that was happening there. You had no access to the rational mind. And I like I can't even freaking believe that I would ever, ever, ever uh, physically take a crack at it. Yep. But I did. It is so impossible to imagine for me. Right. Which is wh- why I understand why somebody who's never suffered or had the thoughts, why it's impossible to imagine for them. Exactly. I get it. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's the power of peer support. Yeah. Because if you're talking with somebody that you know gets it because they've been there. Yeah. You know, like try to explain the pyramids to somebody that hasn't been there. I haven't been there, so you can't explain it to me. You have to experience it. Yeah. Then you know. That's the difference. Yeah. And the people you leave behind. Mm. And what they put themselves through because they think you've made the choice, that you rationally made that choice. It wasn't. Exactly. And you realize it had nothing to do with you. And you couldn't have stopped it. A lot of people ask me, how do I know if my child will do the same? You don't. Exactly. I said, all you can do is love them, protect them as much as you can, but you are not in charge of their decisions. You are not in charge of their future. You're not even in charge of your own future. How can you be in charge of theirs? You have to release that. And I had to release that even with Josh when he was suffering. I had to let it go. It was killing me. It was eating me alive, not knowing if I would see something again, if I would have to make those same decisions again. And I had to release it. His choices are his choices. His future is going to happen for him. And that's all I can do. I can love him. I can support him. I can cherish him, tell him every day how much he means to me. And Carter knew all these things too. It's, it's unimaginable for most people. It's still unimaginable for me. I had to release the why. That, I had to release that fairly early because that would have eaten me alive as well. Absolutely. Finding the answer, finding the reason. I searched, I searched all of his devices, all of his accounts, searched every text he had ever sent, nights upon nights upon nights searching all of this stuff. There was no reason. All I could find is he was writing in a journal and his pen broke. And he said, I can't even have nice things. That was the last thing he wrote. And I cried. He died because his pen broke. But like he said, his cup was full. In that moment, he wasn't rational. He wasn't thinking, oh, mom, mom won't want me to do this. I shouldn't do this. He wasn't thinking. He had, a week before, called the police on a friend of his that was contemplating suicide. He knew the implications of suicide. He understood that. He knew the number. I hate when everybody on Bell Talk Day shares the number of, of where to reach out. And it's like, we have to change the mindset of everyone that it's okay to talk about things. It's okay to be different. It's okay to have thoughts, but let's talk about them. But there's still nothing I know, nothing I could have done to make a difference. Let's switch to hypnotherapy. Absolutely. So when did you get certified in hypnotherapy? 
Um, it'd be, it was early COVID. So two, like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And it was funny. Like I said, I meant I had hired the life coach and when she did my day of healing, um, it was a full day, it was a full eight hours, which was crazy. Um, but it, at the end of it, she said, now, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'd like to help people like me. That's the only thing I could think of. I'd like to help people like me. And she said, okay, how can you do that? Go, go away, research. Cause I'm like, I don't know tapping. I don't know NLP. I don't know like EMDR, the rapid eye one. I said, there's so many things and it was kismet. Um, someone showed me an ad on Facebook cause of COVID there is a hypnotist out of Vegas, um, former Albertan, Mark Savard, not the hockey player. Um, he was putting on hypnosis and hypnotherapy training online because of COVID. His shows were shut down and they showed me this ad and it clicked. There's um, a couple of big hypnotists in, uh, from this province. Wayne Lee is yeah. uh, old buddy. He used to date my sister. Oh. <laughs> I saw him on a small stage and uh, it was at a Christmas party. And I remember sitting there and, he, and the thing was he, he would have you raise your hand in the audience as you were becoming hypnotized. So he would know to pick you out. And I could feel my arm lifting and I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want, I have this horrible fear of being embarrassed on a stage. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. And uh, yeah, that's my Wayne Lee story. So, and and I knew I didn't want to be a comedian hypnotist. People always ask me, oh, you're going to make me cluck like a chicken. And I'm like, I have zero interest in seeing you cluck like a chicken. Um, I have some interest. <laughs> That's the asshole in you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sure is. But right. How far could I push this? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go for a walk. <laughs> but... As I started taking it, it started resonating really clearly. I'm a scientist. I love the science of the mind. I love the woo-woo aspect of the spirituality talking. So I I found if I was going to help people, I don't think they would come to me if I was super woo-woo. People are more apt to follow common lines, science. You know, go to a psychologist, go to a, you know, someone like that. I said I was doing some woo 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 out of the back of a car. They probably wouldn't be coming over for help. You'd be like the electronics guy in a van in the parking lot. <laughs> hey, you want to buy a stereo out of my van? <laughs> my van, pedo wagon with some candy. Oh, in Jesus the back, right? Christ! <laughs> That's one of the jokes my kids would make, right? <laughs> so I just started learning, and it was fascinating to me, and it made sense. It made sense how your subconscious mind works. It makes sense how when you're a young child, everything is absorbed into your subconscious. You don't have that critical factor in your brain to reject or accept things. Right now, if I said to you, Mark, this is a beautiful purple sweater you're wearing, it really brings out the color in your eyes. And it I makes, believe you. And it makes your face shine. Would you have heard the last bit or think, my sweater's not purple, you crazy woman? I'd be like, I think I got an eye test. <laughs> Maybe I'm having a stroke. But in hypnosis, talking to your subconscious, you would have heard, she likes my sweater. 
It brings out my eyes. It makes my face shine. And every day after you, when you put that sweater on, it's going to lift you up. You're going to think this makes my face shine. This brings out my eyes. I thought it made me look like Mr. Rogers. It kind of does. A little bit. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Exactly. But it, it just started falling into place with the hypnotherapy. It started allowing me the avenue to incorporate what I had learned, what I'd been through, what worked for me, but also being very aware of what might not work for someone else, giving me different things to work with. The, and this hypnotherapy is different than others. So there's so many different types of practice. Um, when you start looking into it, there's people that read scripts. And it's just script-based. There's people that do a little bit of the NLP inside hypnosis. And then this is a, a Gilboyne method. Um, he's, he's since passed, and now Marcus is training with it with others. And it's called transforming therapy. And so it takes you, heightens those emotions. So in your subconscious, it's all emotion-based. So it has programmed you from something you've experienced previously and it tries to help you experience those things faster. So it's trying to automate. And so if you see a spider and you were traumatized as a little kid by a spider, as soon as you see it, you start panicking. Hmm. It's pre-recorded in your subconscious to respond that way. Pavlovian. Exactly. So it's trying to help you, help in air quotes, is typically not help when you've suffered trauma. So as, as a kid, you've, you've let all of these things in. Something might not have even been a trauma experience, but you perceived it traumatically as a four-year-old, as a five-year-old. Something that you see now as an adult that you're like, that shouldn't have caused me trauma or pain or shouldn't have programmed me to respond this way. We can go back with transforming therapy. I can take you back to that day when we heighten those emotions and you can see it through the eyes of you now you can forgive the child that had that response and you can pre-record a new way to respond so that now when you see a spider you're like huh not so bad maybe i'll kill it maybe i'll capture it and put it outside but it doesn't cause you that fear response or that well, trauma. Reassociating the stimulus response is also, that's done in NLP, that's done in ART. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a common technique, so it's really just the modality of the same idea yep. that, that's different with, with hypnotherapy. Yeah. And efficacy of, say, um, reassociating the stimulus response with hypnotherapy as opposed to doing that with talk therapy. Exactly. What's, uh, what's the difference in, in, in efficacy, would you say? So when you have something buried in your subconscious, so it's happened, it's programmed in your subconscious, when we try to fix it in the conscious mind, talk therapy, it's harder. You're not getting to the root because of that critical factor in your mind that accepts or rejects. With ART, sorry, uh, just to 
make sure that we're not uh, yeah. on, on, on different paths. But with ART, they do the watch my hands back and forth, which is also similar with EMDR, except they use an actual light. Mm-hmm. I haven't done EMDR personally, but it's the same kind of idea. Yep. And, the, and the rapid eye movement of, of left and right, then you go into the scene. Yep. Is that different than tap? It's quite similar. Okay. Um, going into hypnosis is an overload of the conscious mind, which is similar to EMDR. It's similar. Anything where you can overload your conscious mind so that it's not focusing on your subconscious, then you can get in the subconscious mind. So you overload the conscious. I just put you into a hypnotic state. You're probably in a similar type of hypnotic state with EMDR. You've overloaded your subconscious so you can get to your or overloaded your conscious so you can get to the subconscious. Well, the the experience with the RT, um, and I wasn't able to achieve it every time, but uh, <laughs> well, it, it did more harm than good for me. Oh, because uh, I hit a tripwire is one of the many. I got I got a long, 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 long list. But um, one of the lists that we thought we would work on is when I hit a tripwire in a war zone and I didn't go boom, and whereas uh, friends of mine are dead. Right. Uh, matter of fact, there's a little memorial to one of them right there. Oh. And uh, so hitting that tripwire, I was expecting to die. Right. And doing the ART with the eyes back and forth, okay, I'm back. And I would see myself almost like on Google Maps, uh, flying across the globe and then finding the spot and then zooming in and then all of a sudden, plunk, and I was there in my flak jacket, helmet, and rifle. And I was doing the jog and I was reliving it. And I could feel the gravel under my feet. I could smell the sea air, mm-hmm. uh, all of it. And then I could feel that fucking tripwire hit my left shin. Mm-hmm. I was held in that moment for about 15 hours, all told, wow. of my shit and i still had a startle response right the whole time now taking that and translating that to how you would do that with hypnotherapy what's the difference so i wouldn't have put you back you you today so that already happened to you you do not need to relive it so that happened to i don't know how old you were i was 24 So it happened to the 24-year-old you. So when we would go back, if depending on how severe that was for you, the anxiety that reliving that or re-seeing it would cause, we call it a revivification. How do you do that without stuttering? Revivification. (laughs) (laughs) That's harder than saying Saskatchewan. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, we just revivify it. So you're just bringing it to light. So a lot of times I'll put it on a screen. So I'm taking you back to that time, that place when that happened. But you're going to see it on a screen. You're going to be holding the remote in your hand. You have the control. You're you today. You're seeing you of 24. Now press pause. What's happening? I don't have a pot belly. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that six pack. But what would that 24-year-old you need What did he need in that moment? Did he need a partner? Did he need someone on his six? Did he need a friend? Did he need God? You know, what did he need? So you today would be going back and seeing you of then. 
you're not reliving it. And we can bring it to light. Were you feeling, who knows? But let's, let's deal with that feeling. And what did he need? Did he feel like he wasn't going to live his life? Or was he upset that, you know, something else happened? Can you forgive him? Forgive him for hitting that tripwire. Forgive him for thinking any thought and give him the support he needs. And then move him past the tripwire. Because you said you got stuck at the tripwire for 15 hours. Yeah, it's a long damn time for a microsecond. So a lot of times we get stuck in that trauma at that point. And you forget that you survived and lived. And then what happened is what I'd say. And then what happened? Well, I backed up or I did this or, you know, I called the guy. We would walk you through that and get you past that moment of trauma. So you're not stuck there. It's more guided. It's more you dealing with what emerges. What did you feel? What did you sense? What did you see? And we get you past it and put you in a spot like me on the beach. Where did the 24-year-old you want to be? What's your opinion on repressed memories? Uh, Mm -hmm. This is something that comes up a lot. There are people that I know that forget the majority of an entire tour, the whole thing. They're just like, nope, nope, nope. And uh, there was a couple of uh, events that I know I was there for. (laughs) Uh, And a couple of scenes that I know I saw. And my brain's like, nope, nope, nope. No, you fucking don't. And I know what I saw, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't picture it. Um, through hypnotherapy, is there any value in taking that screen down and, and, and being able to recapture that memory? Depends on the event. Um, obviously, you're protecting yourself. So sometimes you have to allow yourself to protect yourself from things that maybe you shouldn't have seen. Or... If you want to know about them, we can definitely put it up on the screen. You can watch what happened. It might cause more trauma in you today, but we can deal with that. Again, anything that emerges. So allowing that that scene to play out. What did that scene need to tell you? What did you need to learn from it? Did you need to forgive someone else? In the transforming therapy, like I said, without that critical factor... I'll sit you in a chair and sit you across from whoever caused you harm or, you know, bad. You can sit across from them and say things to them. Tell them how that made you feel. And then you can switch positions. You can speak back from the person that harmed you. I'm really sorry I did that. I didn't know better. A parent that caused you harm as a child. You can have them, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't, I, I didn't know better. I was raised in an abusive relationship too. And it's very healing to say what you've always wanted to say. And in your subconscious, you feel like you got to do it, even though you're just imagining it. And then we can also pull out of you. If I said to you now, pull out all the anxiety you're feeling, pull it out of your body, set it on a table in front of you. Oh, that would look so gross. Right? Give it a body. Give it a face. Look at it. Pull it out like a rotor-rooter pulling everything out of you. Put it on the table. And you can talk to your anxiety. I don't need you. 
I do not need you. And then you can. Because I'm actually doing this as you're saying this. <laughs> and I got this big steaming pile of intestines and crap right here. And it's just kind of gurgling and bubbling. <laughs> That's that's what's in my mind when I picture that. Right. It's cause like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I wouldn't even poke that with a stick. Mine's black and gooey and tar-like. It's like a, a gross-looking tar gremlin is Blech. what mine looks like. And every time I start feeling it, let's pull it out. Hi, I don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't leave me. And in, in there, you're like, it's nothing without you, but you are everything without it. Mm-hmm. Feel how light you feel. Feel that release, that grip it has on you. We walk you through all those feelings. And then you can throw it over a cliff. You can blow it up with a bomb. You can package it and mail it somewhere. Throw it in the water. Watch it drift away. Do you do the walking across the bridge thing? No. No. Um, the only one I've done. It's so hard to visualize. Uh, and you have to be good at visualizing, um, but I I can't visualize. So this is interesting. We talk a lot about well, I don't I don't see anything. I don't I don't see anything. I see black. When I close my eyes and picture this and picture that, that's why I need hypnosis because it it releases that critical factor that says I can't visualize, and. It allows me to see the scene. It allows me to release what I need to release. And, and yeah. I could see people having a lot of fear allowing themselves to be hypnotized. Is there a downside or is there some legitimate fears that a person or concerns rather that a person um, uh, should consider before having hypnosis? I don't think so. Um, and I get asked, can anyone be hypnotized? I, some people say, I can't be. I have ADHD. I'm like, of course you can. Have you ever slept? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever fallen asleep? It's that it's that drift when you when you or when you wake up that moment when you're you're falling asleep you're kind of dreaming but you're kind of alert that's that's a state of hypnosis it's that in between. Well, Wayne Lee couldn't get me. I was on a stage once, and I was I was young, and I was like, so I went into this meditation pose, thinking like, yeah, yeah, let's do this, this. and uh, and he's like, yeah, get off my stage, yeah, dum dum dum. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. Sorry, Wayne. Bye. I I can't be stage hypnotized. I have too much of a fear of being embarrassed. That it's it's a terrible fear of mine of being on a stage and being embarrassed. I can't be. And so this is in a calm, relaxed state. You're comfortable. I overload your conscious mind. We do like a eye eye fixation. I walk you through a deep relaxation. On your first time, I'll put you in and out a few times because each time you go into hypnosis, you can go deeper. You can get more relaxed, more relaxed. And so we'll do that a few times. And then once you're completely relaxed and I can sense that you're ready, we'll, uh, we'll start the transforming therapy. And so I'll do a couple little tests with you as well to make sure you're deep in hypnosis. There's an arm rigidity where I make you feel like your arm's a steel rod. Cool. I'm an arm wrestler, so let's like, do that. <laughs> and I'm like, try to bend your arm. And you're like, I can't. And it's terrifying, but to me, I want you to see that you are in hypnosis. And then you're like, oh, okay. We <laughs> cool. Can, we can do this. <laughs> now, do I start clucking now? No. <laughs> no clucking. 
No. But it's April 1st. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So you'd be, you could really mess with somebody yeah. right now. Yeah. Totally. And make sure it's on video. That's the thing. Yep. Yeah, every time I say cookie. Nobody will ever come for me to me for help again, but god damn it was funny. Everyone clucks. But the only I don't know, the only fear that most people have when they come is releasing their trauma. And oh, yeah. I had that same fear. I didn't and I'll I'll be completely honest, I didn't want to let go of it. I didn't. Because that's the last moment I had Carter. And I I felt like if I released my trauma I was somehow letting go a little bit of him. Yeah. And and that to me was terrifying to let go of the trauma. But it's the opposite. If I let go of the trauma, I could relive all of the amazing things we had. Well, that part of you, uh, like you're saying, visualize you put it on the table and, you, and mine was a ground, <laughs> gross brown, stinky pile and yours was a black tarry pile. Yep. Well, that's what you're letting go of. Yeah. Not the light, not the, the kindness and the, and the love mm-hmm. and uh, all the stuff you're supposed to be hanging on to. You, you get to hang on to that. Yeah. You're getting rid of the pain. Yeah. Not the person. And it's the hold that the pain has on you. I still grieve. I'm still sad. I still have, you know, all those things, but I don't have the trauma holding it. People, people say, you just got to let it go. It's like, okay, (laughs) asshole. Uh, That's not what's going on here. It's not me not letting it go. It's, it's not letting go of me. And I don't know how to cut the cord. So fuck off with that. Just let it go. It's that little trope. True, but not helpful. (laughs) True, but not helpful. Yeah. It's hanging on to me. It's that freaking crab in the crab bucket. It's locked onto my ass. Exactly. And being able to see it, give it a face. See it for what it is. Yeah. It's holding you because it's nothing without you. But you're everything without it. And being able to conscious or or subconsciously release it. And then the one thing I also do is I'll at the end of it, I put myself out of a job because I teach you how to hypnotize yourself. So I'll teach you how to hypnotize yourself and to re-imprint your new blueprint. Re-imprint those those new habits you want to help, you know, solidify within your subconscious, releasing that, letting it go. What do I want to do now? I want to imagine that perfect version of me. I want to see him. And so you picture him and every day you walk one step closer. Every moment you walk one step closer to becoming that perfect version of you. And you can re-imprint that in your mind whenever you want because I teach you how to do it. What was the name of the type of hypnosis that you do again? Uh, the transforming therapy. Transforming right? therapy. But there was a like a person's name. Gil Boyne. Gil Boyne. Mm-hmm. All right. And and that is what yep. uh, you find has the efficacy. Are there ones to avoid? I'm not a fan of the script readers. Okay. I feel like I might as well listen to a guided meditation on YouTube for free. Yeah. And I do. I, I listen to those all the time. I think those are more helpful. Um, if you're spending money on going to therapy and treatment, it should be personal. It should be about you. It should be exactly what you need. And ones that don't let you speak, I, I would avoid. 
So if it's just, those are called direct suggestions. Mm. You're perfect now. You're perfect. Oh, thanks, You're Lisa. <laughs> oh, man, nice. <laughs> you have no trauma. You have no trauma. And it's like, I don't. I still feel it. It's still there. Like we didn't really resolve it. And, but that's just called direct suggestion. There's a bullet hole in my side. No, there's not. <laughs> you were never shot. <laughs> I got my finger in the hole. Is it, no, it's not there. Are you sure? Cause, yeah. yeah. And so I'm feeling a little woozy. Yeah. Direct suggestion is good for some things. And we'll do, we'll do that. Like I typically will break this out into three sessions. So your first session again is getting you deep into that hypnotic state. I'll give you some imagery to work through some direct suggestions. Second session, you'll come in, we'll do transforming therapy. It's work. You're going to need to do some work. You're going to resolve that. For it the sounds next like it's easier work than what I did. Five years of talk therapy. Yeah. That, uh, that was brutal. I saw I saw one guy, um, and it was hard. It was a hard session trying to get him to speak, trying to get anything out of him, just trying to drag it, pull it. It was two hours. I was exhausted. He comes out of the session and he's like, "Wow, I did three years of of therapy, and I never said that much." And I was like, but "You didn't say much." <laughs> But that was three years. Yeah. I overcame three years of therapy in that session. Well, there has to be a better way. And, and that's a part of the show. I mean, mission save lives, relieve pain by making help for mental health injuries uh, easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. That path is not fucking clear. <sighs> and it's not easily accessible. And a big, big, big part of that is pharmacology always says, well, you know, it's just serotonin and dopamine. So we'll just balance that shit out and you're good. Yeah. So you're chasing your tail. The serotonin and dopamine are off because of the depression and the trauma, mm-hmm. not the other way around. And, and there probably might be the odd exception to that. Right. But for the most part, it's unresolved trauma. So how do we resolve it? And then what do you know? Your dopamine and serotonin levels balance right the hell out mm-hmm. when you resolve the trauma. They look at it backwards so that they can sell pills. And those pills are addictive and dangerous and can cause psychosis and cause suicide. Says so right on the frickin' pill, yeah. uh, right on the pill box. You know, by the way, you know, this is, this is what it could do and your liver might fall out. And uh, saying, oh, okay, well, let's use that as a last resort mm-hmm. because as a last resort, yeah, medication, that's, that's good stuff. And in, in acute cases, yeah. as a Band-Aid, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, good stuff, but not for the rest of your life. Right. That's not good. No. That means you're not resolving shit. Yep. You yeah. got to resolve it. I agree. I I did get um, <clears throat> medical treatment right away, just to just to calm it. And I have an amazing physician. He's a great doctor, and uh, I told him what had happened. And he had also seen Carter. He was his doctor as well. And so he started me on some medication just to take the edge off. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> and I was able to phase, I'm, I'm still phasing some of it out, but sleeping still is, is difficult for me. Sleep is hard. I always woke up at 2 a.m. Yeah. That's a hard one. At least you don't wake up at 3.33. <laughs> <laughs> I get 2.22. <laughs> 
Just don't wake up at 333. That's when the aliens get you. Oh, I thought that was 666. No, that's 333. <laughs> okay. 666 isn't on a clock. <laughs> I know. Wait, you April fooled me. I did. Oh, my God. I had to actually do the math. Did you? Oh. Yeah. Sucker. If my clock ever says that, I'm in deep shit. Yeah. I always think, 222, I love you. Oh, that's a nice message. Yeah. And then I get 7-Eleven. The boys used to always go, I'm going 333, to- I got to pee. Oh, there. <laughs> See? I guess 7-Eleven. That means uh, that was the boys always. We're going to 7-Eleven. You want anything? So I get 7-Eleven. That's Carter. I'm like, hi, bud. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Yeah. And 222, I love you. Yep. I'm a 1212 guy ever since I was a kid. That's when I was born. 1212. Yeah. Creepy. I see twelve twelve all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. I love the woo woo stuff, but I'm also a science guy. So yeah. yeah. Wait a second, you're a dude. I am. Cool. <laughs> I good. always think Bill Nye the science guy. Like it's just <laughs> in my head. Who isn't? Just you know, let's let's just no more fake news. <laughs> he has a bachelor's degree in engineering that does not make him a scientist. Oh, look at you! You just broke my world. Oh well. Mm. Well, hypnotize you and make you feel better. Okay. Yep. And then you'll be good. I'll be great. Lisa, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. How can somebody get a hold of you and find you? I'm on transfix.ca. Trance, as in T-R-A-N-C-E, fixed.ca. Yep. And uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, yeah. I'm all over. And one thing I, I will mention, I do online train our sessions as well so if you cannot leave your home if if it's too much if if you don't live in edmonton and that's too much i do online sessions i trained online i practiced online it doesn't change the hypnotherapy i don't need to be in the same room as you that's cool yeah and a little creepy creepy I'm a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm a creep. Uh, oh, I love that. How's that song go? I'm a creep. I'm a, well, whatever it is. Yeah. It's probably not a mentally healthy song. I like it. <laughs> We're all a little broken. It's okay. For everybody that's watching this on uh, the live video feed or re-watching it, um, the, the recorded version of this, the video version, uh, every show that I do can be found on Anchor, po- on Apple, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, all the big ones. And on those, there will be show notes with all the links. So the show notes for this will have uh, links, hyperlinks, so that you can find Lisa and her profile, her website, and to book a hypnotherapy appointment with Lisa. Lisa, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. All right, my friend. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. And as I open the show with, anybody that wants to resolve trauma. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click 
follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring. Thank you.